Thanks for tuning in to Goopfellas. We'd like to thank our friends at Kenneth Cole who helped to make today's episode possible. I know not all guys are like this, but I like to pay attention to what I'm wearing. When you look good, you feel good. But you can't feel good if what you're wearing, especially on your feet, is uncomfortable. As a chef, I spend a lot of time on my feet, and I'm always in the market for a comfortable pair of shoes that don't sacrifice on style. Gentle Souls by Kenneth Cole is a collection of modern footwear made with comfort and style in mind. They're actually pillows filled with flax seeds placed inside each footbed, which are designed to mold to the shape of your feet, plus memory foam for other key pressure points and luxurious leather inside and out. To get 20% off your first pair of Gentle Souls, head to kennethcole.com and use code GS20. That's GS20. Hey, bud. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm excited to be back on the show. Yeah. Good stuff. We've got, um, we've got a lot to talk about. You just got my labs. Can we I talk did. about them for a second? I don't want to break, break uh, patient privacy, but if you give me no, permission. No, I'm okay with it, but I'm a little worried that it seems re- reading your report it sounds like I'm about to die. No, no, no. You're not going to die. There's some things to work on, but you know, have to, I say this all the time and it's true. You have to know what you're up against to do something about it. And you, I mean, it's a lot of things you have great. I mean, you have a lot of things going, going for you and some things to work on. We want to work on some inflammatory markers, mm-hmm. some mild uh, insulin resistance, mm-hmm. uh, so, some things with the immune system, but we're going to, we're going to deal with it, man. These are all things you can overcome and improve. It's, you're uh, you're in good hands for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the cool things about functional medicine is doing lab work, being able to look at exactly what's going on in your body and then tweak and identify changes. I mean, the, it is a little startling too because when I look at things like, oh, my vitamin D levels are low. Well, I take 10,000 IUs of vitamin D a day. I live in a sunny environment and spend lots of time outside. I eat a healthy diet. Right. Why the fuck are my vitamin D levels low? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of variables, but again, if you get a baseline, then you know, yeah. okay, what, what do we have to work on, uh, to deal with? So I, I you know, I'm happy that we got the labs because yeah. we so can, now, we, now we've got a project to work on. Uh, I, I like to think that I'm already taking care of myself pretty well, but now it looks like I've got to do a better job. I guess it sort of illustrates that we can always be better than, and then we can always do better. We can always improve. There's always room for improvement. Absolutely. And yeah. look, if you weren't doing all the things you were doing in your life, like taking care of yourself, things would be far crazy. I mean, look where you used to be before oh, yeah. you started this whole wellness oh, journey. Oh my God, I was a mess. I mean, you have done so much things for your health. This is, this is uh, if anything, this is validating all the stuff you have been doing because I've seen people that are really bad off with mm-hmm. autoimmunity and you did amazing things. This is just about taking it to the next level. What, right. what do we need to optimize? Well, speaking of an approach to a non-conventional approach to health and and functional medicine and all things lectins and inflammatory and and (laughs) longevity, uh, we got to talk to Dr. Stephen Gundry today, who is um, a very interesting, interesting person, really smart guy, has a lot of great ideas, um, great research that he's done, and Mm -hmm. uh, really fascinating conversation. For sure. I mean, Dr. Gundry, he's the founder and director of the International Heart and Lung Institute, as well as the Center for what he calls restorative medicine, which is what he calls functional medicine. I love that. He's also the best-selling author of The Plant Paradox, The Longevity Paradox, and his newest book, The Plant Paradox Family Cookbook, which is beautiful. Um, but today we get really get into it with Dr. Gundry, talk a lot about longevity. Yeah. So if you want to live a long life, a healthy life, like all the hacks that you need to know to live a long, healthy life. I mean, this we cover in this episode for sure. 
So let's jump into it and see what Dr. Stephen Gundry has to say about living forever. Dr. Stephen Gundry, thank you for coming on Goodfellas. Hey, thanks for having me here. And it's always fun whenever we're in the same city getting to talk because one of the many reasons is that we both still see patients. That's our day job. It's not writing books. It's Correct. consulting patients. And it keeps us sharp and we get to geek out about all the cases. And uh, I love that about you. The fact that you're so you're doing so many amazing things as far as the books are concerned and the awesome supplements out there. But you, first and foremost, put your patients first. Correct. Uh, yeah, I just... You know, people go, well, come on, you know, you've successfully written a bunch of books, you have a supplement company, you don't have to see patients anymore. And, yeah. and I go, well, yes, I do. Um, I, I learn so much from my patients. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'll get a harebrained scheme of, hey, you know, I wonder what would happen if we went and had 50 people take a particular supplement, mm -hmm. uh, you know, send them on to Amazon or Costco or whatever. Yeah. And let's see what happens to their blood work or ask them, hey, I really want you to knuckle down on avoiding this particular food for the next month. And let's see what happens to your blood work. And, yeah. Or even better, someone will come in and say, hey, what do you think about this, you know, thing? Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll go, well, you know, I really don't know much about that. Um, yeah. I'm going to find out. So. Yeah, it always, always keeps us sharp, for sure. Yeah, um, in the kitchen we say keeping your hands in the salt and pepper at all times. Yeah, exactly. They're, well, yeah, you know, I, I, have, um, I have a very good friend and patient who owns a, a very uh, an excellent restaurant in Palm Springs, and he is the chef and has gotten a lot of awards, but he doesn't come into the restaurant very much. And, you know, I've shamed him. <laughs> I said, you know, people are coming in to see you. You know, you're, you're a superstar, and I've shamed him. And he says, okay, I'm going to start coming back. And he has, but it's, it's painful for him. But, you yeah. know, Seamus, what do you think about that? Don't you have to, you know, get out there and mix it up with the customers? And You, you do, yeah. I mean, it's particularly difficult, and the, the restaurant industry is a little bit different in that, I mean, I, I think that people definitely know, notice when the chef is in, you know, if it's a really good chef, they notice when the chef is in the restaurant. Unfortunately, they shouldn't. You know, ideally, you want <laughs> yeah, the thing to true. run really smoothly at all times. <laughs> the hard part is, and I, I, I don't know if I can speak for your friend, but I can certainly speak for myself, that working in a restaurant is fucking hard. You're, oh, on yeah. your feet, you're on your feet for like 80 hours a week. You're working, you know, more than like someone on an ER rotation and mm. you make no money. So there, there, there gets to a point like when you develop a business that's relatively successful that you kind of want to take a step back and not be in there all the time. But the expectation is that you are. So I, I, I think it's good. You, you definitely need to, you need to stay in touch with it. But uh, the, finding a balance is important. Yeah, for sure. So, Dr. Gundry, you have the Plant Paradox book, which was a game changer in the wellness space. You have the newly coming out book, the Plant Paradox Family Cookbook, which we'll talk about. And you also have the Longevity Paradox, which I would love to, to geek out with you about this. Uh, for people that don't get it or don't know what we're looking at, what does longevity mean to you and why should somebody care about this? So the reason it's called the longevity paradox is that most of us uh, would would like to live a long time if possible, but most of us don't want to get old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we kind of look ahead, uh, things don't look very good yeah. about mm -hmm. getting old. Particularly, it seems to get worse uh, every year. It means 
operations, it means uh, bypasses, stents, it means cancer, it means Mm -hmm. worst case scenario is, you know, winding up in assisted living or a memory care unit. Mm -hmm. And we see so much of that happening. Um, In fact, uh, there was an article that just came across my my phone this morning looking at a very large uh, Swiss study. The Swiss have the highest longevity as a people in Europe. And they broke it down into, okay, well, longevity is one thing, but what about health span, which is what I think most of us are looking for. Mm -hmm. And they found that the, yes, their longevity is increasing, but increasingly with that longevity, they're seeing that health span Mm. is now decreasing. Okay. And one of the points of this of this paper was, by the way, the health span of people who only completed a high school education mm-hmm. in Switzerland is far worse than the health span of people who went to college or beyond. Mm-hmm. And their thought was the Swedish, uh, I mean, the Switzerland healthcare system is very, very good. Mm-hmm. But they felt that one of the reasons was not, you know, the the people who just completed high school weren't any less or more intelligent than people who went on, mm-hmm. but it was costing them more, even in a national health system, mm. to get care as they got older or visit the doctor. Anyhow, I think in, in a perfect system with the longest longevity in Europe, yeah. they're still finding now that ooh, there's there's a price to be paid for longevity. Mm-hmm. Which is the paradox. Yeah, Yeah. we are getting older, but guess what? Our health is not keeping up with getting older. Yeah, so it's about health span, not just lifespan. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like we're living longer, uh, sicker lives. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, in the not-too-distant past, the time that we spent in, you know, senescence and going downhill was actually very short. Mm -hmm. Um, Now... We're we're looking at you know twenty thirty years mm-hmm. in senescence and mm-hmm. you know there's data that baby boomers uh, people my age we have more diseases more medications more health issues at the age of sixty five than our parents did yeah. and you know and we're supposed to be the smartest healthiest generation that ever occurred mm-hmm. and so there's something really wrong when you know, our really sick parents were a lot healthier than us. Yeah. It's funny. I wrote an article years ago about like how to live a long, healthy, like to 100 years old, I think was the title. And I got so many negative comments about who would want to live to their 100 because people equate, they don't even think of health span as, a, as, as if that's even possible because right. that's not what is ubiquitous at this point. But you are changing that in your book. Uh, something that you talk about in The Longevity Paradox, which I love the subtitle. What's it? It's di- di- How to Die Young at a <laughs> Ripe Old Age. There you go. See, that's the key right there. That's what we're talking about. You talk about this little guy called Ackermansia. Can you tell the people about this little guy called Ackermansia? <laughs> yeah, Ackermansia mucinophilia. So there's more and more and more and more research, as, as you know, Will, that you know, our gut microbiome and the diversity of the gut microbiome is really what's going to make us stay young. And there's cool study looking at 105-year-old healthy people mm-hmm. and comparing their microbiome with 
30-year-old healthy people. And the thing that's so cool is the 105-year-old people have the same microbiome as a healthy 30-year-old, and that may be the secret. So Acromancia mucinophilia is a bug that, as the name implies, uh, loves mucus, and it eats mucus. And the mucus layer uh, protects the lining of our gut from for instance, other bacteria, but also if you follow any of my books, it protects you from lectins because uh, mucus is a mucopolysaccharide, lots of sugars, and Mm -hmm. lectins are proteins that look for sugar molecules to stick to. Mm -hmm. So the more mucus you have, the less chance lectins have of getting to your gut wall. Mm -hmm. So back to Acromancia. It loves mucus. It lives in mucus, and it eats mucus. And that doesn't sound like a good thing because you need mucus. Well, the more mucus acromancia eats, the more your gut cells, your enterocytes, produce more mucus. Mm. And it's kind of this win-win crazy thing. The more it eats, the more mucus you make, the more acromancia you get, and the thicker your mucus layer gets. What's really cool is that most people know about metformin. Right. And the diabetic medication. The diabetic medication. Yeah. And many of our colleagues in longevity, and we've never talked about this, but maybe you take it, take metformin as an anti-aging drug. And uh, I don't, and we can go into that. but metformin, I don't either. Yeah, metformin, actually one of the ways it works is it increases the amount of acromancia in your mm. gut. Yeah. And mm. wouldn't it be hilarious that, you know, its main effect is to foster acromancia. Yeah. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why people can get looser stools. Correct. Some people can. Yeah. In fact, there mm-hmm. was a, there's a company out of uh, Boulder, Colorado that uh, came out with um, a cure, quote unquote, for the diarrhea that metformin did by actually it changed it was a probiotic it's kind of mm-hmm. an interesting company um, <laughs> but yeah so that's why about 30 percent of people yeah. um, get pretty impressive diarrhea when they yeah. start metformin in fact mm. i've had several patients that had to stop metformin yeah me too because mm. of because of that so what are some other ways to increase acromancia without taking metformin? Yeah, so these guys actually love inulin-containing foods. And inulin is another one of those wonderful sugars, mm-hmm. a, a polysaccharide that we uh, cannot digest, but these bugs uh, think is just the best thing since sliced bread. That's a bad uh, <laughs> analogy. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I, I find the chicory family is really one of the easiest ways ways to get uh, inulin into people, and that's radicchio and treviso, the Italian red lettuces that aren't lettuces at all. They're chicories, mm. frise, Belgian endive, chicory. You know, put some uh, chicory in your coffee like uh, they do in New Orleans. And um, so inulin, uh, inulin is in Jerusalem artichokes. It's actually in artichoke hearts, another mm-hmm. great source of inulin. Mm-hmm. Seamus loves artichokes, so. Yeah, you know. Artichokes, yeah, and but, I love Jerusalem artichokes, which are unrelated. Y- yeah, they're unrelated. There is no, there's nothing, uh, nothing in comparison. So, yeah, actually, I take Jerusalem artichokes, and I slice them raw, and then pour olive oil on them and all salt, and I eat them like chips. Nice. Uh, it's really good. Um, and no toots? Did I do the toots? Now, no, yeah. 
you know, my gut bugs are so used to all this that yeah. um, may take an adjustment for some people. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I and I warn people that yeah. you know it's going to take you a couple weeks, months to you know stop uh, making gas from this. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know that's a good segue. I yeah. I personally think that the FODMAP diet, where mm-hmm. you're eliminating these fermentable sugars. In a short term, yeah, uh, of course, it's going to get rid of the gas and bloating yeah. and maybe a short term thing. But I think in the long term, it's one of the worst ideas yeah. for long term health that you could possibly promote. Because it's modulating the microbiome in a way that's yeah. unsustainable. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, the more we see of all the evidence, we're only as good yeah. uh, as our gut microbiome. Right. And the interaction between the gut microbiome and the wall of our gut and our immune system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So So I use the, and you probably do the same thing, like you would use a a low FODMAP approach. And for people that know, low FODMAPs are basically fermentable sugars that are in some plant foods, like onions and garlic. But we use it while we actively kill the bacterial overgrowth. But yeah, like you said, we have to do reintroduction at some point. This isn't like a, a forever thing. Right. Low FODMAP approach. Yeah, I was uh, over in Lisbon this past week uh, debating uh, the carnivore diet. Yes, which mm-hmm. we've talked about before. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on the carnivore diet? Well, I mean, some people accuse me of fostering the carnivore diet by making people so afraid oh, of plants, plants that, you know, oh my gosh, you know, all plants are out to kill out to kill me. You know, Dr. <laughs> Gundry said so. Well, no, I actually never said that. Um, but there's plants that are your friends and plants that aren't. But, um, you know, some people take this to the ultimate extreme. It is, in a way, the ultimate elimination diet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Mm -hmm. this young lady who I was debating, she had some very severe autoimmune diseases and eventually found that the only way that she could get things into check was, uh, you know, she calls it the lion diet. Um, that's cute. Uh, <laughs> it works. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, cats, great yeah. cats, are, are pure carnivores. They you know, yeah. can't have it any other way. Yeah. But she actually forgets the lions eat the abdominal contents of their yeah. kill first, which includes lots of plant material. But, hey. <laughs> but she's now stuck, and she knows. Uh, we talked, you know, off camera. She knows that she's screwed long-term. And what's happened to her is she no longer has a microbiome that can tolerate any plant material. Right. And when she even tries, she knows she's got to do this. It's kind of funny talking off camera. She's like, I know I'm screwed and I got to do something. She has to lean into back introduction. Yeah, that's what I told her. I said, look, you're just going to, you know, have to put up with this. You're going to have to cook all this stuff to, you know, to mush mm-hmm. and just, you know, put little bitty bits it, yeah. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she's, uh, she's very uh, wonderful young person, but yeah. she's, she's, she knows she's screwed. Yeah. So these things, what you're saying is, and I agree with you, these are short-term interventions to achieve, achieve some sort of clinical objective or health objective, mm-hmm. but it's not like a long-term goal for everybody. No, I mean, you know, we've talked about this. First of all, there's no actual evidence of a society that follows a carnivore diet with long-term good health. Mm -hmm. And as a general rule, research, you know that in general carnivore diet produces an inflammatory microbiome, Mm -hmm. not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's, but again, short term, yeah, I think there's, you know, 
an elimination diet, yeah. and that's probably the ultimate <laughs> it there is, is. It except is. not eating. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So, so some of the keys to a long and healthy life for longevity is the objective here. Obviously, a healthy gut biome, a good relationship with food. I'm assuming that lifestyle has something to do with that. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on supplementation like NAD. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I actually just had uh, David Sinclair on my podcast, who's mm -hmm. actually become a good friend of mine through the years. But yeah, I think the holy grail probably uh, is from David's standpoint, um, mm -hmm. you know, NAD uh, producing substances. And there's a lot of ways to do this, I think. Uh -huh. um, I, I'll give you an interesting anecdote. Will actually may have kind of heard this coming up through the ranks of alternative medicine. Uh -huh. Back in the 50s, niacin was mm -hmm. the only uh, cholesterol-lowering drug. It's not a drug at all. It's B3, vitamin B3. Mm -hmm. But uh, And there wasn't any time-release stuff. It was straight niacin, and mm -hmm. straight niacin is really interesting because yeah. most people, it gives you a real hit of a hot flash. Yeah, niacin mm -hmm. flush. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And my, you know, all, my, all my wives want their husbands to go on niacin <laughs> so they can understand what you know, menopause is like. Uh -huh. and they get great delight in that. So, but niacin became actually a very popular drug, and it did lower cholesterol. And yeah. we still use it in lowering uh, lipoprotein little a. Yeah. And so when statin drugs and other alternatives came out, niacin fell by the wayside. But there were a number of people who took niacin because they had gotten used to it, and you do become tolerant to mm -hmm. it, for years and years and years and years. And there was this kind of talk in the alternative medicine community when I was first breaking in 20 years ago that people who were taking niacin looked a lot younger than mm -hmm. their peers. And so then you start looking, yeah. and um, niacin is actually a pretty good, you know, well, it's the precursor of NAD. NAD, yeah. The downside of niacin is that it's a CERT-1 uh, inhibitor. And so you go, well, wait a minute. You know, how can you get NAD but, you know, turn off CERT-1? And that's kind of where niacin loses it. But, but I think it's fascinating because yeah. I, I – and I've, I've seen those patients in my practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that youthful glow. And they're – yeah, they've got this youthful look about them. So for people that don't know, can you – what is NA, NAD – what, what, was, what were we talking about right there? <laughs> and can we talk about telomeres so that people understand sort of the, the impact of NAD? Yeah, well, telomeres, you know, it, there are so many wonderful theories of aging, and telomere theory of aging is one of them. Mm -hmm. And if these are the little caps on the ends of chromosomes, and the longer the cap, uh, in general, the younger you are, uh, if you really want to uh, make your telomeres longer, the best way, quite frankly, is vitamin D, but that's another subject. People who have the highest vitamin D levels have the longest telomeres, a human study. So NAD is basically where the rubber meets the road in a mitochondria in producing energy. So uh, the more, the easier it is for a mitochondria to produce energy out of glucose and or ketone mm -hmm. bodies, mm -hmm. then the more efficient you are. And it's kind of like 
like I use the example, well, um, you take a 12-cylinder car, it'll get you up to speed really fast, but it'll get you up to speed so you have to stop at the gas station every block. Yeah. On the other hand, you could take a four-cylinder engine and supercharge it and turbocharge it and get the same power of this 12-cylinder engine, but you're not going to burn much fuel. Mm. And the more efficient you can make mitochondria, if you like the efficiency theory of aging, then the longer you're going to go and mm -hmm. go well. And so I think that's what you know, these NAD uh, compounds yeah. do. And most of them are just forms of niacin, like nicotinamide riboside. Exactly. Yeah. They are all forms of niacin. Yeah. Um, and David Sinclair, is he thinks that nicotinamide riboside is a, is a waste of time, mm. uh, interestingly enough. That is um, interesting, yeah. Yeah, there is uh, one human study uh, looking at uh, 1,000 milligrams a day of nicotinamide ri riboside mm. that uh, does improve NAD in lymphocytes by about 8%. Uh, 1,000 milligrams of uh, nicotinamide riboside is pretty expensive. Yeah. Uh, and so for an 8% boost, you got a question now. David loves to talk about his father, who's now in his early 80s, who's yes. been on nicotinamide monocide, which is NMN. And people hear M, M and M's. Doctor Gundry wants us to take M and M's. <laughs> it's a new thing. Yeah, new thing. <laughs> new health food. I can see the Mars company going crazy. Um, so he's a huge fan of this, and yes, he yes. thinks that the oral route uh, works. Um, which is interesting uh, because there's been some skepticism about whether these things will get broken down by right. stomach acid. Yeah. He's got his dad on it, and his dad um, apparently is – I've never met his dad. And he says that this has you know, changed his dad's yeah. life. Um, wow. And he says, I, I'm the first to admit, this is a, an N of one. This is an anecdote. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But certainly David's putting all his research effort in, into – uh, nice. Very interesting. I, I, I see that uh, coming out for the work that he's doing. One of my favorite pastimes is Nerd Alert, by the way, exploring all the unique benefits of individual healthy foods. But I'm a functional medicine practitioner, so it's kind of my jam. Uh, but did you know that flaxseed, mostly known to be a great fiber source, is actually good for shoes. I didn't know that either. Uh, so Kenneth Cole uses flax seeds actually in their new Gentle Souls collection, which was created to integrate trend and comfort. The shoes are made with memory foam, sheepskin, leather, and flaxseed. There are actually little pillows with flaxseeds placed inside each footbed, which are designed to mold to the shape of your foot. Pretty cool. And you'll really appreciate the Gentle Souls shoes if you've ever bought a pair of shoes because you liked how they looked, only to end the day walking home in blisters. It happens to the best of us. But with Gentle Souls, you get a great modern look and the comfort factor you need. In addition to their women's collection, Kenneth Cole recently launched the men's version of Gentle Souls, which is very exciting. So now we can test drive them for ourselves, and you only have to wear them once to become a fan. And you can get 20% off your first pair of Gentle Souls when you visit kennethcole.com. Just use code GS20, that's GS20, and we have the last name, Kenneth and I, so that's pretty cool too. The You mentioned vitamin D. Uh, 
where do you like vitamin D levels to be on blood tests? I want them from 100 to 120. Okay. Uh, I do not mind them over 120. Okay. I've, I've run mine greater than 120 for 18 years now to prove I'm not dead, <laughs> and, and I'm not. I do think with high vitamin D uh, doses, you're, you're wise to take vitamin K2. Yeah, another fat-soluble vitamin. Yeah, and whether you want MK4, MK7, I actually like a mixture of them. MK4 is a little shorter acting than MK7, so. Okay, can you tell people why they want to pair K2 with D3? Yeah, if K2 uh, will, at least in animal studies, take calcium and preferentially put it into bones rather than into the wall of a blood vessel. Okay. So that's, you know, not a bad idea. There is, to my knowledge, there's no human data that shows this is true, but um, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And, and vitamin K2 is pretty cheap, so, yeah. and it's in plenty of foods, too. Yeah. Um, like what kind of food? Well, so for instance, green leafy vegetables are full of vitamin K2. Mm -hmm. That's why, and I run my own Coumadin clinic in, in my practice. Um, I still give Coumadin. I know it's rat poison, but it's not rat poison because it kills rats' livers, mm -hmm. but we vo tell people, I don't tell people, but we tell people to limit their access to green leafy vegetables mm -hmm. because of the vitamin K in it. Yeah. Right. That's primarily K1. But what I do is it's so important to get these things in that I have people eat this stuff and eat it routinely. And mm -hmm. then we just up their Coumadin dose. Right. Uh, what they mm -hmm. can't do is, oh, I'm going to eat you know salads and broccoli and cauliflower for a week and then I'm going to stop. Oops, right. mm -hmm. don't do that. You got to be consistent, right? So the K one from the greens gets converted to K two through the gut microbiome, correct? Correct, that's right. And the more diverse your gut microbiome is, the more K two you're going to make. And organ meats have K two, right? That's true. That's right. Yeah. Have some liver. Do you recommend mm. organ meats? What's your What's your opinion on that? Uh, you know, actually, uh, there's some really cool polyamines. Uh, polyamines. Speaking of longevity, uh, polyamines really promote longevity. One of the best sources of polyamines in organ meats is chicken livers, of all things. All and, right. you know, and, and I always kind of go, well, wait a minute. You know, the Italians eat tons of chicken liver pate. Mm -hmm. And br bruschetta with chicken liver, you know, you can't avoid it. Right. And you start there and you say, what the heck is with these Italians and their chicken livers? Well, it's full of polyamines. Yeah. It's the same way with... Parmesan cheese, true Parmesan Reggiano, is loaded with polyamines. And so these aged cheeses are mm. full of polyamines. Interesting. So, you know, you know, have some chicken livers and put some Parmesan cheese on it. <laughs> and you, uh, so spermidine, spermidine in the book, is that a form of That's a polyamine? That's a polyamine. Okay. Yeah. I had never heard of spermidine until you. You, yeah. you taught me about spermidine. Yeah. Yeah. Spermidine comes from the obvious source. It actually comes from semen. Okay. Yeah, that's where it was identified. I wondered if it was a play on words or, no, from that's, the source. That's from, from the source. <laughs> you can get it from mushrooms, too. Yes. You don't have to be yeah. doing anything too weird. And they also, <laughs> yeah, and it also comes from lentils. Uh, yeah, but mushrooms are another great source. The cruciferous vegetables actually also have a lot of polyamines. So lentils, people are like, mm -hmm. okay, what the heck? The, the king of anti-lectins is saying no lentils. But you always have had a nuanced opinion about this. Can you explain people about this? Yeah. So, for instance, the Acciarolis, the super old people that live south of Naples, 
they don't eat bread, they don't eat pasta, they eat no grains, they do eat lentils. And what's interesting is all of these cultures uh, traditionally soak their beans and soak their beans at least for a day. Sometimes in Tuscany, they soak them for two days and they change the water every few hours because lectins will come out of beans into solution and you can pour them off. It's not perfect, but it works pretty doggone good. Mm -hmm. And then for instance, in Tuscany, they'll cook beans for two days in a pot uh, and make them actually really soft. So yes, you can get lectins by soaking. You can ferment them, another great way to reduce lectins. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons I wrote the new cookbook is uh, you know, the Plant Paradox Family Cookbook is a pressure cooker will right. pretty much destroy mm -hmm. all lectins except gluten. Gluten you cannot destroy with heat and pressure. Mm. But you can destroy all the lectins in beans and lentils. So just throw it in the pressure cooker and you're done. Perfect. And you can eat, you can what eat about tomatoes corn? in there. What about corn? So here's the problem with corn. Number one... Uh, none of us, uh, except uh, a few of our Native Americans, uh, never ate corn until 500 years ago. We're all from Europe. 500? 500 when Columbus discovered it uh, or brought it back. Let me put it that way. The, uh, the Native Americans were clearly eating it before then. But, uh, wait a second. But Oh, okay. okay, okay. I thought I was going to say because corn has been a staple in Mesoamerica for, for much longer than that. Correct. Probably about 10,000 yeah. years. Sure. Um, yeah, about the same time other grains. Uh, rice yeah, yeah, yeah. is actually one of the newest grains. It was only 8,000 years old. Yeah, but the vast majority of people who weren't Native Americans were never exposed to corn until mm -hmm. 500 years ago. And, you know, the French banned corn as unfit for human consumption in yeah. around 1900, mm -hmm. uh, suitable only for pigs. Wow. But the Native Americans, and you know, having now lived in the uh, in the desert southwest in Palm Springs, the Native Americans always knew that you had to detoxify corn and with, ashes with yeah. with lye. Yeah, ash. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and it turns out that they realized that what had happened was niacin mm -hmm. was incredibly important for brain development, and mm. the corn eaters had you actually sucked all the niacin out of the body. And so these kids were born really with underdeveloped brains because Columbus made one mistake. He didn't observe what the Indians were doing that mm -hmm. made corn safe. Yeah, the traditional preparation. Yeah, it's always yeah. the traditional preparation. Nixtamalization. Yeah. Nixtamalizing is what it's called. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so, so do, when you cook corn in a pressure cooker or hominy or posole, for instance, are you... Uh, eradicating the lectins that, yeah. that you find in the nightshade? Yeah, but one of the things that's fascinating now that we've gotten some fascinating new tests is about uh, 90, uh, I'd take that back. Uh, we have a lot of people who are obviously sensitive to gluten or who have celiac, mm -hmm. the extreme form, but about 70% of my gluten sensitive people react to corn as if it were gluten. Yeah, and, cross reactivity. You know, there's yeah. a, there's a there's a corn uh, corn wheat epitope that your immune system swears you're eating wheat when yeah. you're eating corn. Also there's a new corn GMO protein called cry protein in corn. Hmm. And unfortunately almost all of our corn is GMO. Yeah. Uh, almost all of it. And so 
we see a lot of people who don't react to other parts of corn, but they now react to this new protein in corn yeah. that was introduced uh, by GMO. Yeah. Hmm. So it's this growing mismatch again between genetics and epigenetics, like you talked about in Plant Paradox, too, which yeah. is so true. Yeah, we just, we've unleashed. A... Yeah, with wheat, the hybridization of wheat, oh, yeah. and the A2A1 with dairy. Right. Mm -hmm. So many examples of that. The um, Something that you talk about in, in the longevity paradox is you talk about times of fasting and fasting mimicking diets. You talk about uh, the, the brainwashing, which we can talk about. But is, is it largely – and then the next aspect of it is the protein moderation, limiting animal protein. Uh, so can you explain why that is? Is it mTOR in the, in the balance of mTOR? Shed your wisdom on me. <laughs> sure. So um, back in the when we were first doing uh, developing uh, anti-rejection drugs for transplant, uh, rapamycin came on the scene, and rapamycin looked really cool. And whenever you test these new drugs, you want to know how how lethal they are. So you do animal models to find out the kind of and M50, where 50% of the animals will die. What's the dose? Mm -hmm. And with rapamycin, uh, oddly, uh, these animals actually improved their lives. They lived longer than the non-rapamycin animals. And everybody went, what the heck? So smart people, uh, I was not included in that group, <laughs> um, said, well, there's something you know going on. And so they found what was initially called the mammalian target of rapamycin. It's subsequently been found in all animals. So it was then called the mechanistic target of rapamycin. To keep the M. Keep the M. <laughs> uh, having trained at Michigan, you know, M, you got to keep the M. So, <laughs> uh, and some people want to get rid of that M and they just call it TOR, but mm. it's so stuck in all of our consciousness right. that it's, it's kind of M-TOR. Okay, yeah. so this is an energy sensing um, molecule that basically says, okay, how much sugar is in the diet and how much certain proteins are in the diet, amino acids. And it says, hey, if, time, if times are rough, there's not much food, uh, we ought to batten down the hatches, we ought to prepare for the worst, but we got to keep this animal alive because if we don't keep this animal alive, he can't reproduce when times are better. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, a very good survival thing. And it turns out um, making mTOR, turning off mTOR is a really good way to increase longevity. So they started to notice that there are certain uh, amino acids that turn on mTOR, and they're most of the branch chain amino acids, and methionine. And bodybuilders know that branch chain amino acids are really good for making muscle. And if you really want to make muscle, you want to turn on mTOR. Yeah. And so that's actually the trick between with branch chain amino acids. But if you want to turn off mTOR, you want to lessen those particular amino acids. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, animal protein has more of these amino acids than plant proteins. And so one of the easy ways to mimic fasting is to just lessen those animal proteins. And that's what uh, Walter Longo has done with his fasting mimicking diet mm -hmm. and his product called Prolong. And I just actually mm -hmm. spent a couple days with uh, his 
director at his lab, actually over in Lisbon, um, chatting about this. And uh, they're they're very specific. And you know, Walter Longo has a patent. Yes, he does on Prolong, and it's yeah. it's the first patent ever given for this because yeah. he has specifically eliminated those amino acids that stimulate mTOR. And his argument, well, which is a good argument, is you don't have to fast, you don't have to do a water fast to mimic the effect of a fast as long as you know what sensors you don't mm -hmm. want to turn on. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, a, I think, a very brilliant discovery of his. Mm -hmm. and, and I give him full credit in all my books yeah. about this. Same do I, yeah. as, as do I in Ketotarian. Yeah. Because he's yeah. doing this, the research. Yeah, he's doing, you know, uh, and... I can't even tell you what's coming down the line, which is, uh, it's very exciting. So for people that, they could either obviously buy the Prolon, like fasting mimicking diet uh, through Vulturelongo's site, or it's essentially a plant-based ketogenic diet, wouldn't that, you say? That's exactly right. Um, With caloric restriction. Yeah, it's caloric restriction. And what he's found and proven in humans, that if you do five days of a plant-based a ketogenic diet of around 800 calories that you will act in terms of your immune system, in terms of your stem cell activation, as if you had fasted the entire month. And uh, I think that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Now, you and I both think that you can duplicate his results uh, with when you know you've shown it in ketotarian i've done it in the longevity paradox mm -hmm. just do this mm -hmm. five days you have to do it five days in a row the principles of it yeah they do the principles yeah but pe some people like the convenience factor yes of buying a thing that's already made and you just put water in it right and, and you know he he all of this goes to his nonprofit that just goes back into right. his research that's a good so thing. it's a good thing yeah, yeah. definitely so we talked about these different ways for people to increase longevity. Uh, what supplements do you recommend? I mean, where do supplements play a part in longevity? I, you're talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> now remember, I, I thought I thought supplements made expensive urine 20 years ago. I really did. I just, that's what I told Big Ed. I said they'd make expensive urine. Mm -hmm. um, the, what you want to do is, I, one of the things I think everybody should be on vitamin D three. And how much? Like what? So what? I think the bare minimum that people ought to use is five thousand international units. I think that's a mm -hmm. good starting point. I have people with autoimmune disease and leaky gut who literally I have them on forty forty five thousand international units a day. And I can. Keep, and what does the FDA recommend? Like twenty five hundred or something? Yeah, like not even. Uh, I think the, it's like a thousand. I think yeah, eight hundred yeah. international. And you're never. We run the labs. You're never going to see the optimal ranges with those dosages. No, you'll never. Right. And several of the labs now, thank God, have upped their upper limit to one hundred and twenty, one hundred nineteen. Mm -hmm. So I think things are are rapidly moving. But it's so sad. I, I take care of a lot of cancer patients, and we really push vitamin D on them. And their oncologists will see that their vitamin D is 90, and which is not enough for me. But they'll say, oh, my gosh, you know, your vitamin D toxic, and you have to stop it immediately. And, and the next time I see them, you know, their vitamin D is 30, and I'm going, what the heck? You know, I got to take your dose up. They say, oh, I stopped it. My oncologist says I'm toxic. Oh, so, boy. Mm, so a lot of, a lot of education. So vitamin yeah. D. 
Absolutely, the uh, long-chain omega-3s like EPA and DHA. What's so interesting in the longevity paradox is that if you look at the omega-3 index, which looks at basically two months of how much omega-3 EPA and DHA is in you, uh, people with the highest omega-3 index have the largest brains and the largest areas of memory, the hippocampus. Wow. And people who have the lowest levels of omega-3 have the smallest brains, most shrunken brains, and the smallest areas of the hippocampus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mom said fish is brain food. And, you know, she obviously, you know, was right. But, you know, we forget that our brain is 60 to 70 percent fat, mm -hmm. and half of the fat in our brain is DHA. Mm -hmm. The other thing, fun fact, um, is the other half is arachidonic acid, mm. uh, the evil omega-6. Yeah. And I subtly make the point in the book that it ain't so evil. If, right. if half of our <laughs> enzyme system is yeah. designed to make arachidonic acid yeah. and half of our brain is arachidonic acid, Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's a balance of omega-3, th 6, and 9, right? Yeah, exactly. It's not demonizing. Yeah, let's not demonize. <laughs> exactly. It. Yeah. The, um, so you mentioned uh, the, as far as the supplementation, yeah. is that, is that? So uh, that's not, yeah. So the, I think the other really important thing, and then I published on this, is polyphenols. Okay. Uh, and these are these plant compounds that um, we can argue about how they work. They are not antioxidants. Um, mm -hmm. The whole whole idea that there's an ORAC really just ought to be thrown out the window. But anyhow, these, I think, uh, number one, they're modulated by uh, gut bacteria. They're turned into active compounds by gut bacteria. There probably is a large part of a hormetic stressor response. That which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. And so I'm a huge fan of polyphenols. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think these compounds... Most many of them work by activating the CERT one and so on genes, which clearly are longevity genes. And more importantly, I publish that these compounds actually change flexibility in blood vessels. When I have patients take them, mm -hmm. we can measure that their blood vessels are more flexible. And there's a saying in longevity that you are only as young as your blood vessels are flexible. Mm -hmm. And we've shown that when we remove those compounds from them, their blood vessels get stiff. Mm. I've also published another paper showing that they reduce oxidation of LDL cholesterol and if you like the cholesterol theory of heart disease, and let's remember that is a theory, mm -hmm. that oxidized LDL is the mischief maker. Right. And so less oxidized LDL, you stop the cascade right. of plaque formation. So people can find out this oxidized LDL on like an NMR test, right? Yeah. That's what we'd run yeah. to f figure that out. Awesome stuff. Um, so the new book is called The Plant Paradox Family Cookbook. Tell everybody about that, what they can expect about the new book. So I, I see, uh, actually, I was a professor of pediatrics at Loma Linda University, including uh, heart surgery. But uh, I see a lot of uh, pediatric population kids in my practice, primarily with autoimmune diseases. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and these kids, the parents have been 
absolutely saints through the years of trying to get their kids to, you know, follow my program. And when their kids follow the program, their autoimmune disease goes away, their Crohn's goes away, colitis goes away, rheumatoid arthritis goes away, you name it. And they kept saying, can you help us out here? Help us out. You know, get us some, something that we can feed the kids and they'll like. And really one of my overwhelming uh, driving, driving forces is I, I want to have people eat food they love but loves them back. Right, Seamus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all about that. It's all about that because – I'm not here. I don't want you to eat twigs and leaves. I mean, you know, I mean, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I want you to eat food that you recognize, but that is actually going to improve your health rather than, you know, take away your health. Thanks for listening to our conversation with Dr. Stephen Gundry. This is a really cool conversation. I, I love that you two geeked out on functional medicine. I was really fascinated by the conversation around bacteria and prebiotics. I mean, and love to hear that he's a big fan of artichokes, which I am as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Akkermansia, like the bacteria, like mucus building bacteria in the gut and the connection with that and leaky gut syndrome and autoimmunity, all the stuff that that I, I see clinically. I love how Dr. Gundry takes like like dense concepts and breaks it down, makes it easier to understand. Maybe not super easy for everybody, but, no, but easier does, to yeah, understand. Yeah, he breaks it down so that the average person can, can at least understand conceptually what, what's happening. So for, for sure. For more on Dr. Stephen Gundry, head to drgundry.com. That's D-R-G-U-N-D-R-Y.com. You can also check out his articles on goop.com slash goopfellas. And make sure to get a copy of his newest book, The Plant Paradox Family Cookbook, which is out now. It's a great book. Got a question you'd like us to answer? The Goop team is keeping a running list for us, so just hit them up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. At the end of every episode, we'll be answering a question from one of you guys. If you have a question about us or about men and wellness or really anything else is on your mind, just let us know. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies and ways to approach health and well-being. And I love to talk about food and cooking and, well, the reality is anything. I just love to talk. So send your questions over to the Goop team on Instagram or Facebook. As Goop likes to say, nothing is off limits. So we're back for another round of Ask Me Anything. Uh, Heather wants to know, what's the last book you read that really changed your perspective? For me, the most recent book that's really enlightened me and gave me actionable steps was That's What She Said from Joanne Littman. I feel like she really drove home the, I knew like there was a, a pay a wage gap. I knew that mm-hmm. women had had it a lot harder than guys do uh, in the workplace and in life. And I to see all the research there really raised my awareness of it to a whole new level. And more importantly, versus just looking at the problem, she actually gave me things to do in my life that I could be mm-hmm. an ally, an advocate uh, for the women in my life. Yeah, it's such a good book. Yeah. How about you? Um, hmm. it's a toss up between two books right now. Um, I would say between, uh, your brain on love by Stan Tatkin, Mm. um, which I really, really, really loved that. I thought it was a a very helpful kind of manual for being a better partner and understanding love and understanding relationships and that human beings are, as he said, the most difficult thing in the world. Um, 
it was just very – I found it to be really, uh, really, really thoughtful and very helpful. Um, and the other book, which is one that now uh, I have read three – count it three times because I, I tend to read books – when I find a book I like, just like when I find a movie I like, I tend to go back to it multiple times, mm-hmm. um, is Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. Oh, yeah. It's really good. And, man, that book is just now – and the third read – it really just stands up. The it's such mm-hmm. an incredible book. It's called A Brief History of Humankind, and um, he takes a very uh, he covers everything, but he he takes a very very um, evolutionary perspective on where we are, human history, where we've come, where we're going, and it it's a little bleak in so much as it becomes very clear that you know the planet is going to be here with or without us. It's just about whether or not we're going to actually care for this planet, and uh, and it's very it's very insightful. I mean, you really start to you understand like our, the human humans' relationship with animals, our relationship with 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 agriculture, how circumstances have have influenced human evolution, and so many decisions that we make now that are based on evolution. It's really a fascinating book. That's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Will and I would love to know what you think about Goop Fellas. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to goop.com slash goopfellas. And we hope you'll be here again next Wednesday. Talk soon.